0: Okay, l- welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, February 11th, 2022, which is three days after this year's Academy Award nominations were announced. On the animation side of the street, there weren't really all that many surprises, were there, Drew? Or No, although, you know,
1: I was, I was kind of hoping for uh, Bell... In place of Flea, because I really did. You actually ever end up seeing that in the theater, Jim?
0: No, no. And but oh, okay. Flea intrigues me because I not only nominated for animated feature, but also best documentary and best international feature.
1: Yes, it's wonderful. It's available on Hulu right now. Okay. Um, if mm-hmm. you haven't watched it yet. But I was kind of hoping Belle would sneak in for that. You know, there's always one indie yeah. in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, that went to Flea, and Flea had a great a great day, and it was also just fun because I was up so early, and then I was talking to everyone who got well, nominated.
0: No, speaking of which, Drew got to talk to the directing team on Encanto. You got to speak to the director and the producer of Luca. Yep. Likewise, Phil Lord and Mike Brandon, uh from uh, Mitchell's Versus the Machines, and also the folks from Raya and the Dragon, right? Yep, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it
1: was great. It was cra- you know, I don't know if you ever ever had to do these reaction things, Jim, mm. but it's always like they're like staggered five minutes apart in like the condensed thirty minute period, you know. Mm. So it's like, can you get on with it? Can you get and then it's like, whoa, 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 and, and it's also seven o'clock in the morning, so yeah. Yeah. you know, there's that element as well. But mm. it was it was a lot of fun to. Get those nominations, and then immediately get to talk to everybody. It was it was great, and especially covering so much of the the awards this year. Oh yeah, and getting to talk to everybody it was it was really fun.
0: I have to say, of the bunch, I think I enjoyed Mike Bionda? Bionda. Rianda. Rianda, Rianda, he,
1: he listens to the show, Jim. So you have to say his name correctly.
0: Mike Rianda. So, you yes. had that great story of he's at his, well, don't no, you tell. I mean, it's, it's, okay. it, it's your yeah, story. He,
1: it, well, it's the most Mitchells versus the machines thing in the world mm-hmm. because he's at his parents' house right now. Mm-hmm. He loses his phone. Some guy drives into the cell phone tower, so he mm-hmm. has no internet either. And the, his father is trying to kind of make him feel better. And he's talking about the time that the squirrels, crammed a bunch of nuts into the telephone line so that they couldn't even call anybody. So, I mean that, that, and and he's telling me the story, Jim, and I am like dying laughing. Uh, It is so funny. Well, I
0: don't know if you've seen the video where They're literally huddled around. I don't know how they get the internet to work but they're huddled around a laptop in the driveway and it's so early and so cold that everybody's yes. wrapped in blankets. And well, when they said that, so Mike is just bouncing around and getting hugs from his wife and his mom. And it's, it's very, very sweet. Yeah. I think if I were voting, I'm torn because I think Luca is the film that in 20, 25 years, people are still going to be talking about, you know, so pointing to, but on the other hand, I really want Mitchell's versus the machines to get it. Cause yeah. I, I feel like it would be more important for these folks and more to the point underline circling and denting that kind of film with, you know, with its wonderful hand-drawn animation overlays and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and the, the wonderful story.
1: Yeah. Can they tie? It's such a good year for animation. I swear yeah. to God.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: It is. I don't know. It was great. I mean, the things that weren't nominated like bell or mm-hmm. summit of the gods. I mean, these are great movies. Still. They are. Um, they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just blown away by this year. So anyway, it was, a, it was a lot of fun to do. And I, I hope people go and check that out on the wrap. Um, so
0: you can read everybody's response. It was, it was very fun. It's a genuinely fun piece, you know, but on the other hand, I just, I felt so bad for you because here you are, you have to get up to be awake at five 30 when they start making these announcements. on good morning, America. And then the very next day, you have to get up even earlier to catch episode seven of The Book of Boba Fett. Oh,
1: no, I just stayed awake that whole day and waited until midnight. (gasps) Are you kidding me? (laughs) at one point i I went on the to the couch I put on Luca mm-hmm. I think he came out of the water, and then yeah. the next thing I remembered he's on the train so i mean i
0: I <laughs> wow lost
1: an hour of my life, but it was you know it, it was enough to get me to midnight and to watch Book of boba fett so
0: speaking of which what did we think of in the name of honor the last episode? I wasn't super crazy about it what really? about what about you? I thought it delivered the good I mean mind you. I remember when Robert Rodriguez was talking about shooting the episode of season two of the Mandalorian, where he was going to be the one who got to work with Boba Fett. And this given that, you know, this character's had so little screen time and everyone thinks he's a badass that he had, they showed the footage of him in his own backyard shooting reference with his kids and using action figures and that sort of thing. In a lot of ways, that's what, The last episode of the Book of Boba Fett felt like to me it's again kids in the backyard playing with their action figures. Anytime I get even more Amy Sedaris, yes, that was great. Yes, you know, hey, hey, everybody, it's Mando. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) right, but it it just
1: just underlined how much I don't know more compelling a character Mandalorian is, and that relationship with Grogu. Oh yeah, it's so great, and that that was definitely a missing piece of Mm -hmm. this. But, hey, we got to see the Rancor we did. climb a building like King Kong. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. how bad could it be?
0: Drew, again, stayed up all night, watched that. and But 13 articles this week on The Wrap (laughs) since Monday, including two about uh, Pixar's Turning Red, which we're going to talk about at length on the second half of today's show. Oh, good. But first, the news portion of this week's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. As Drew and I were pre-gaming before we got started, we were actually talking about... Disney's quarterly earnings call, which happened, yeah. was that Tuesday or Monday?
1: Uh, Wednesday at 1.30 Pacific, yes. Okay.
0: What did you think of what Mr. Chapek said, particularly when it came to Encanto?
1: Well, you know, I always like whipping people up, Jim. So I, I was very keyed into this phrase that he used, that it, it was the next great Disney animated franchise. So I tweeted that out. Mm-hmm. I tagged Byron and Jared and said, are you guys ready for your long-awaited nap mm-hmm. and then of course jared responds with the the eye emoji and people went nuts <laughs> said oh my god there's a sequel coming there's a tv show coming Certainly more
0: merchandise, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. One of the the stats that got dropped during this quarterly earnings call, sales of Encanto merchandise defied post-holiday declines and actually increased following the film's release on Disney Plus on Christmas Eve. He then went on to say that it was the fastest title ever To cross the 200 million hours viewed threshold on that subscription streaming service. And as you mentioned, this is the exact quote from Bob. These results are exactly what you would expect from the launch of a new Disney franchise.
1: There you go. Well, you know what's interesting, Jim, is that you said that the Turning Red merchandise was supposed to go on sale on the 8th, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. You go to Shop Disney and there's new Encanto stuff, but no Turning Red yet. Yeah. So I wonder if there was a pivot or something, but Turning Red has not shown up yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the weird part of it is, is right now, Turning Red, the publishing program, is on its way. Now, I don't know if you've been following what's going on at, at Barnes & Noble or at Amazon, but it's been fascinating to watch how, for example, there's an art of book for one division. That it's had its release date changed, I want to say, three and four times at this point. In fact, it just got pushed from, it was supposed to be out this coming Tuesday and, and got pushed, I want to say, to early March. Okay. And again, that was supposed to be out last fall. So we're dealing with supply chain things. You kind of knew this was going to happen within Encanto, given the hold music for Oh, the, that's right. Sort of, yeah, yeah. So I
1: was on hold. You know, I was, as Jim is alluding to, I was doing it. Roughly 1,000 things this week. And so I kind of had it on the background. And usually there's a kind of, it's kind of your typical Disney World hold medley. Mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, you'll hear Be Our Guest and mm-hmm. you'll hear this or that. And this was the entire score mm-hmm. for Encanto. Not just, we don't talk about Bruno. Mm-hmm. And then over to, you know, Agatha all along or something. This was the entire score and it it, to me it seems like that is one of the big deals of this movie is the fact that it's not one song it's not let it go it Mm -hmm. is every song people love and they're going back to this movie time and time again Mm -hmm. and it's only a matter of time before we get more stuff right
0: well eight of the songs from encanto soundtrack are in the the hot 100 and at this point and of course we we don't talk about bruno uh, bruno is still number one on the charts and again, when you have a franchise, you do things with it. And in fact, Len and I just talked. Uh, it's on this week's Disney Dish about you heard about that survey in regard to Harmonious, right? That the oh yeah, you know, is it better? Is it worse? Or is it the same than Reflections? And it turns out the people who commissioned that survey were, were Walt Disney World Entertainment themselves, that office. Because they're aware that the show has problems and they've decided that the way to fix this show is in Canto. They're going to cut the current finale of the show, which is someday from Hunchback, which. <laughs> <laughs> from Hunchback, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Drew, you pointed out that, you know, I, I, it would played over the credits at the end of the film, right? Right. Yeah, because it had actually been cut from the film because it was considered to be too depressing, and that's where we got. God bless the outcast. That was the song to repl- written to replace someday. Um, anyway, uh, th- the notion is that they wanted to do two songs from Encanto to close out the show because evidently a sad ballad is just not the way to end a theme park show. <laughs> also, for what I'm hearing in regard to future franchise expansion, it sounds like Encanto is going to get Moana Princess and the Frog treatment as in a new limited series. For Disney Plus, they're kicking the tires on the idea of doing an Encanto holiday special, sort of a Christmas in Columbia idea, which I'm That's kind cool. of intrigued by. But, you know, that. Yeah, I wonder if they'll do another a short,
1: too. A Frozen Ever After, if you will.
0: That would be cool. That would be cool.
1: Well, that, that was Frozen Fever. I'm sorry, Jim. Frozen Ever After was the ride, which. Obviously, everyone's (laughs) chomping at the bit for a Columbia Pavilion. Well, Uh,
0: the problem with that is even if Chapek were to turn the key today, that's three to four years. First of all, there's no place to just drop it into as a ride. You'd have to build a show building. Um, Yeah. You know, it's not a question of, okay, we have Norway. We have a boat track. Go. Uh, Another thing, did it strike you as unusual That on the day of the Academy Award nominations, we also get our first real trailer for Lightyear.
1: Did it strike me as unusual or perverse for the guy who is covering all the animation (laughs) on The Wrap? I was like,
0: this is so unnecessary. What is going on? Well, no, that's it exactly. Why on a day when you already have so much news? The show will drop on on Tuesday, February 15th. So the Super Bowl is now in the rearview mirror and i get that you know Lightyear was going to be featured on you know as part of the super bowl but wouldn't it have made more sense to drop down on wednesday thursday or friday are Yeah.
1: It it, it's actually not a part of the super bowl but what? yeah i mean i guess since this is off is after the super bowl the only two things being promoted on the super bowl from disney are moon knight and um doctor strange
0: so okay
1: Lightyear maybe just wanted to be ahead of that conversation. I, I don't know.
0: Wow. Um, it just, right. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought it was a great trailer. I'm really looking forward to this Agnes McClain film. But it just seems so weird to drop it at that moment where it would get lost in the shuffle.
1: Yeah. I will. I do want to correct you on something, though, Jim. What? In your notes, you say it arrives in theaters, but there was no no mention of a theatrical or a Disney Plus release. Ooh. Meaning this release is still very much up in the air. Oh no! And Peck, uh, re- uh described the flexibility to which they will be greeting new releases. So oh oh uh, TBD on this one. L- literally not in the press release, not on the trailer, not on the tweet.
0: Oh uh, yeah, this is very much up in the air. So. Wasn't that part of the conversation about turning red, that turning red is going to Disney, Plus, but Lightyear is, or was that never officially?
1: No, I don't think it was ever officially. a.
0: Holy yeah. cow. Oh, so, wow. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep an eye on that then. Yes. Yes. But anyway, again, obviously, you know, Lightyear, the, 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 the origin story of Buzz Lightyear. We've got a lot of animation stars from you know, years previous uh, getting projects in, in the works this week. We we got the news about Smurfs. This is a revival of, of the franchise over at Nickelodeon Paramount. They've got uh, a new CG uh, animated feature coming in December of 2024. But this kind of intrigues me because didn't Sony have Smurfs?
1: Yeah, I think it's... The Nickelodeon Paramount angle seems, sounds good to me, Jim. I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by this. I think this could be, this could be nice. But okay. I never saw the completely animated one.
0: Oh, Kelly uh, oh, Asbury did. Yeah, the the Smurfs: The Lost Village. I mean, if you look at the what is it, five different Smurf things that Sony did between 2011 and 2017, we had the the two live action animated things. Smurfs and Smurfs 2, we got hand-drawn animated things for television, the Smurfs of Christmas Carol, and the Smurfs, the Legend of Smurfy Hollow, and then...
1: Yeah, the Halloween one is good.
0: Yeah, I thought they did a good job. But I'm kind of intrigued that somehow Nickelodeon Paramount swooped in and grabbed those rights. Speaking of, of swooping in and grabbing rights, what do you make of this Fox Entertainment deal to go after Gumby? What a weird
1: ana- – did you see that weird image they put out of them, like, going into the lot? No. Like, stepping over whatever that is, Santa Monica or whatever, <laughs> to go into the, the Fox lot? It was, like it, – it always cracks me up when, when people kind of overestimate mm-hmm. the popularity or cultural significance of some of these
0: things. It's, like – What's weird is if you actually <laughs> drill down into the Gumby story, it gets so strange First of all, Art Clokey is a, a film student in California, and he creates a film called Gum Asia. As a, it's a parody of Fantasia with clay. And his teacher you know, it's like, eh, "You're good at this. Do something else." And he creates a short that the son of David Sarnoff, the the, the guy in charge of RCA and NBC, sees and says, "Hey." I could maybe do something with that, with my dad's television network. Go make a pilot. And so he makes a short, a, a Gumby on the Moon, which winds up being shown on the Howdy Doody show in 55. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's so popular, gets spun off into its own show, uh, runs on the network for like four years. 59 gets syndicated. Show stays in production till 1969. But again, it's. It's a stop motion. It takes forever to make these things.
1: They were still being rerun, by the way, when I was a kid in the in the late 80s, early nineties. So
0: when you were a kid, you might have actually been watching The First Revival, which here's the funniest part of that story. It all keyed off of Eddie Murphy going on Saturday Night Live in a <laughs> in a Gumby costume. I'm Gumby, I'm Gumby, damn it. damn it. Yeah. But March of 82, it, it was such a popular appearance. He does it seven more times on the show. And on the back of that, they revive Gumby in eighty eight. They make ninety-nine new seven minute long episodes.
1: Wow. So were they were they programmed mixing in like the older ones and the new ones?
0: I want to say no, because they introduced okay. new characters like Gumby's good, close, personal friend, the Mastodon, at a Dinosaur.
1: Okay, I do remember the Mastodon, yeah.
0: Okay, so anyway, yeah. somewhere along the line, somebody convinces the Clokey family that they should do a Gumby movie. They spent $2.8 million making a feature-length theatrical release. It gets released in October of 1995, just a month before Toy Story. It sells fifty-seven thousand dollars worth of tickets, and evidently, the way Fox was able to pick it up is that Clokey's son Joseph died in May of 2018, and this was literally part of his estate that the rights to Gumby. So Fox swooped in. Evidently, they've been showing both the old shirts and the new shirts on Tubi which I guess is their short content platform. But yeah, they're going back into the Gumby business. And it's just sort of like, good luck. On the other hand, 20 new episodes of Futurama, except maybe not with John DiMaggio. What do you think of that? Yeah,
1: that's weird. Well, first of all, them bringing it back is just, okay. I get, you know, I think Disney just, looks every day for mm-hmm. some unexploited IP and says, Well we can bring this back to life. Get mm-hmm. out the, you know, electric electricity. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> so uh yeah it's uh it's interesting but the whole Di- DiMaggio thing I'm sure will will be settled before they actually start recording. I think one of the trades said that the first table read was on Monday. Yep. But
0: uh yeah, what do you what do you think? John's an interesting guy. I mean, did you ever get to see the documentary he shot, I Know That Voice, 2013,
1: 2014? Yeah, not the most sophisticated documentary, but a great kind of love letter to uh, voice actors.
0: He's one of these guys who's lucky enough to have a, a couple of characters. I mean, Draken from Kim Possible, likewise Jake the Dog from Adventure Time, and... John has a sense of how valuable these characters are having worked on multiple shows. And you've seen the story in the trades where they, they approach Billy West and Katie Seagal and John at the same time with a, a, what they call a favored nation steal, that the top three voice actors on the show would all get the same money deal. And okay. supposedly Billy, and Katie said yes, and but John wanted the whole lot for more money. And that's kind of where we are now. but I, I, th- I think you're right, you know, especially given the social media response, which has got to be gratifying for John just to see people It's like, look, Bender's the show. If you don't have John, I'm not watching the show. right. <laughs> what's so funny to me is Futurama is the show you can't kill what uh, four seasons on Fox, then they what they made those four direct to video, that was um, so weird. It was, but then it had been showing on, on Adult Swim. Comedy Central grabs the rights, and but as they're grabbing the rights, they make a deal with Fox that can, you know, we're going to take those four video premieres and cut them up into half-hour-long segments, and that'll be season five.
1: Right. I never saw the new the newer episodes because we're, there were new episodes too. Or yeah, were they they, just the no.
0: Okay. Comedy Central did one season. Of 26 episodes, and I want to say those ran in 2010, 2011, they renewed it for one more season, but split that across 2000, uh, half showed in 2012, the other half in 2013. But the thing, that I, I seriously, we finished here tonight. I'm gonna go find this. There's supposedly a Nerdist podcast with a cast reunites uh, they did in 2017, where it's an audio-only Futurama episode. Oh my god, this is this is so convoluted. I agree, I agree. But I really want this to work. So here's hoping. Whatever bottom buddy is, you know, I mean, just the publicity they're getting now. Which again, you know, they face it, we live in a Kardashian world, so no publicity or no bad publicity is bad publicity. You know, people are talking about you. Well, so, let's
1: let's say to the the corporate leaders of Disney mm. in solidarity with John to bite our shiny metal <laughs> asses.
0: Good news, everyone! Get yes. So, all right. Speaking of good news, I, again, want to remind people that the Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, debuts on on Disney Plus on February twenty third. So,
1: it's excellent. I think I can say that now. It's great. Cool. The new episodes are great.
0: All right. Yes. But again, it's just so weird that the revive thing continues just this afternoon peacock revealed they've got two new animated series in the works who were based on a uh, recent well relatively recent dreamworks animation films we've got this show based on megamind that that came out in theaters in october of 2010 and uh, abominable two years ago three years september 2019 but we've got the Mega Minds Guide to Defending Your City. And okay. then we've got Abominable and the Invisible City. So it's, well, hopefully they're protecting the same place. But the way it's explained to me is so much of the decision, at least when it comes to these streaming services, is you make your pitch and then they hand it off to the guys who run the algorithm is there an audience out there for this? And if there is an audience out there for this, how many episodes would they be interested in? And what will it cost to make those episodes? Right. And, and you know, just that, that weird math.
1: It's almost like when, like, something would sell a bunch of DVDs, back mm-hmm. when DVDs were the big thing, and then a sequel would be greenlit. That would just jump. based on the DVDs, you mm-hmm. know? So it's like that.
0: This brings me to how weird... The news cycle is, or more to the point, how much the world has changed. I'm in Target this week. I'm making my auditorio to see whether or not, you know, the the, the turning red stuff is there. And I round a corner and stop dead because it's like, that's an Encanto Blu-ray and DVD display. And it's empty because it had been set up the day previous and people had picked it clean. But it's like on the very same day that the Academy Award nominations are announced. And again, and the Lightyear trailer comes out. The Blu-ray of uh, Encanto Goes On Sale. Did you see a commercial? Did you see an ad or a billboard?
1: No, I think I saw it in the Target circular. But even, have you noticed, Jim, that they're not sending DVDs out anymore to the press?
0: Well, this is true. This <laughs> so is true.
1: Well, that was when i w- That's how I would know stuff was coming out was when yep. it would yep. show up.
0: Um, so, yeah. But you need somebody in the office to actually do that. So, yes. Uh, but no, I mean, it just, it used to be, I mean, this was an essential part of the business plan. You know, the, the notion of that's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD and you'd have this huge promotional campaign leading up to that moment. And now it's not even an afterthought. They didn't even promote it. No. I'm just kind of startled by that. And speaking of things, I'm, I'm startled by tail end of last week. Weren't we talking about how they were just casting new folks to go into Little Town? And then yeah. suddenly the plug is pulled.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think they cast Rita Ora six days before. There we go. It was there canceled. we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean we we want to say hi to Ava first of all, as this is Josh Gad's uh, project, and you know I want to be careful not to say anything I'm not supposed to, but okay, it's uh yeah, it's very disappointing that mm-hmm. it happened. You know, I think that everybody's confident it'll happen sometime, but God only knows when these people's schedules are going to line up again in this way. You know,
0: just to sort of to recap here, folks. Again, Little Town was supposed to be a prequel to the live action version of Beauty and the Beast, which arrived in theaters March of 2017. The first rumblings of the trades came out in like March of 2020. We got it greenlit June of last year. And the earliest discussions of it were six episodes. Most recent were eight episodes. And it's fascinating the language that's being used, you know, to the effect of, What's the phrase? The creative didn't come together in time because I guess they hadn't they pushed it. The, the production start from spring to summer.
1: Yeah, and and part of it was I think they were chasing the good weather because they're shooting in Europe. There you um, go. There you so go. it was a thing of like you know we've got to get this together in time. I don't know I don't know what the stumbling block was, but. You and I both know if you throw enough money at a problem, it can get solved. Um, it
0: can. It can. But and, and that, to me, is what's interesting, is the language that's being used is not canceled on hold. I had somebody at the, the studio today just basically tell me, look, we're kind of pinning our hopes right now on the live-action version of Little Mermaid. If that is a monstrous hit in May of 2023— This will turn right on because suddenly there'll be an interest in the music of Alan Menken and there'll be an appetite for more of Disney live action. And it's just very weird that it got this far along, this casted up, and then put on hold.
1: Not since Galavant, Jim, have I been so disappointed (sighs) in the Alan Menken project getting shelved.
0: By the way, there is... A full soundtrack of the Galavant show, which I did order, and it's quite delightful.
1: For the kids out there, Jim, is it on Spotify as well, or do we do we know? If a digital... I, I, I Let me check. To, right now. I want to say vamping. yes.
0: Okay. okay. And and the other thing here, I want to stress is doing a um, live musical uh, limited series is tough. The, the folks who just did Schmigadoon for Apple TV Plus. That was six episodes, but that was shot up in Vancouver. That was mostly shot on sound stages, though they had to do this in the middle of the pandemic. So they faced their challenges as well. I mean, it can be done. I wonder if this was a budgetary thing? I could because that's the only time I've ever heard It got so close. It you know what so this re- what reminded me of? Remember how close were they to shooting Lone Ranger when they yep. put it on hold for like three and four months?
1: Yep. I you remember know. that well. Yeah. And then it ended up being more expensive than well, the first version.
0: There we go. There we go. <laughs> By the way, we were just talking about the live-action version of Little Mermaid. <laughs> to give you how some idea of how long these live-action things take to shoot, I was listening to Terry Gross interview Harvey Ar- Ar- Bardem earlier this week, and he was talking about how he got the script for being the Ricardos while he was on the set of the Little Mermaid, playing King Triton. So think about it. That starts shooting in January of, of 2021. He decides that he'll do it as his follow-up project for Mermaid. He's on the set of being the Ricardos in, in LA by March of this past year, and being the Ricardos, you know, managed to beat Little Mermaid. You know that it's, it's been on Netflix since December of this year. Um, Amazon
1: Prime Video. But Amazon yes. Prime,
0: my mistake. Yeah. So, yes. um,
1: oh, these things take to- so long. Sometimes I think they leave them in a little too long. They yeah, get a little overcooked. Jim.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is true. Look crispy. Okay. Well, anyway, okay. So, from talking about the world's most famous redhead to turning red, we'll get to that topic when we get back. And we're back. Uh, by the way, uh, Durin and I are, are both huge fans of Disney Television Animation, which is uh, particularly Disney
1: too- branded television. Now, Jim. Uh, well,
0: that no, I actually checked that ahead. Of, of our show today, because I, I knew you were going to correct me. And it turns out the way they listed it is there's Disney-branded television and that Walt, uh, Disney television animation is a division of okay. Disney-branded okay. television. But it's literally, the first draft of the show night tonight, I had Disney-branded television. But I was like, wait a okay. minute, let me check on that. I want to be right. Anyway, we're nattering about this stuff because the Owl House and Amphibia Oh, we're finally getting brand new episodes of this next month, uh, starting on March 19th. Also, while you're marking your calendar here, this coming Friday, February 18th, you get a twofer. You get The Cuphead Show, debuts on Netflix, and we also get The Wonderful Winter of Mickey Mouse. Uh, That also debuts on the 18th, but that'll be over at Disney+.
1: That's an extended episode of Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse. And also... Cuphead is amazing. I've seen the first batch of episodes. So, Jim will have a lot to talk about <laughs> cool. uh, next week, I'm sure.
0: Can't wait. And speaking of getting to see cool stuff ahead of everybody else, Drew ha- has taken part in the long lead press event for Pixar's 25th film. I. I, I have my tr- trouble wrapping my head around that, but but turning red, which as you mentioned in the two two stories that you wrote for the rap, quite a departure for the folks up in Emeryville. Oh yeah, but again, this is a Domi Shi film. Who you folks probably have already seen her short bow. That was the animated shirt that was out in front of the Incredibles, which was in theaters and. June of 2018, and then went on to win that year's uh, Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. But four years from directing her first short to a full-length animated feature.
1: Yeah. Compare that to Enrico. It was 10 years
0: Mm -hmm.
1: between uh, La Luna and Luca. So this is quite a quick turnaround. Absolutely. I
0: I also want to provide a little context here that John Lasseter went on sabbatical in November of 2017. There were reports of unwanted touching of of female employees at both Pixar and Disney. Then in June of 2018, Disney announces that that Lasseter would be leaving the company at the end of the year when his contract with Disney and Pixar formally ran out. And you look at Turning Red. And I think, as you pointed out in your article, this is the first Pixar film directed solely by a woman Mm-hmm. you have an entire leadership team you i think mm-hmm. you pointed out from producer lindsay collins all the way through to the story and art departments everybody's yep. female
1: Cin- cinematographers yeah they're all <laughs> all female
0: yeah. yeah and and the story of this is about a 13-year-old chinese girl growing up in toronto her relationship with her mom and her friends and it's kind of hard not to read turning red as kind of a response to the Lassiter situation. Well, here's where it gets
1: interesting because Lasseter did greenlight it, mm-hmm. and I've heard that he was a he was a huge supporter of Domi. But okay. what I think the difference is, I don't think the movie that, as it turned out, mm-hmm. would have been as sort of honest and as sort of female forward as it is if if Lassiter was there. I don't think Lasseter would have allowed a an entire female creative leadership team or anything like that. I think that that was all Pete. And from what I understand, Pete loves this movie and Mm -hmm. he loves Domi. So that's where it's interesting. And, and, you know, when you see it, Jim, I think you would say, oh, there's no way Lasseter would have allowed this, you know, kind of stuff.
0: So, yeah. Turning around into a a coming-of-age story, but you said it's kind of a cousin to Luca.
1: Yeah, yeah, just in the stylistic departure mm-hmm. of it, you know, it it feels very anime influenced a, a little bit different. We'll talk about what kind of influenced it, but mm-hmm. it's very stylized, but the stylization never breaks the emotional connection to the characters and to the situation. It's a very relatable. It's set in Toronto in the early 2000s, which most of us remember quite well, not mm-hmm. maybe not Toronto specifically, but the early two thousands. That kind of boy band craze and sure and everything, and uh, you know mm-hmm. she's got a tamagotchi on her backpack, mm-hmm. all this stuff. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Typically, at a long lead event, you get to see scenes from the first half of the movie, and yeah. and you only get to see some of it. Some of it's not. But it's typically about a half hour, 40 minutes worth of footage. So without giving any sizable story points away, did do you have a, a favorite scene out of what you were shown or? Well,
1: when she kind of becomes the panda and uh, is kind of jumping around the city, which you've seen in all the trailers, so it's mm-hmm. not a real spoiler. It's just so dynamic and mm-hmm. so beautiful. And Ludwig Göransson. Who's uh, scored? We were talking about Book of Boba Fett. He did the theme to Book of Boba Fett and scored all of the Mandalorian. Does this great music and mm-hmm. and what made me like it even more was was after watching the footage and and joining in on the press day. They said that when red pandas get scared, they raise their arms. And so every time, if you watch the footage, every time mm-hmm. she gets scared by somebody, she raises her arms like oh. a red panda. Which that's, is very, very cute. Yeah.
0: That's so cool. But I so loved your interview with Lindsay and Domi because I love the two, the, the back and forth there. Because they were, they were talking about, for example, the opening of the film, which Domi said referenced some of her favorite sitcoms as a child, Right. Right. Clarissa explains it all or Lizzie McGuire, smart guy, sister, sister. Uh, And, but that, that was also because they're very self-referential or, or they acknowledge that they're in the title sequence of a TV show, right? Yeah.
1: Like she, she addresses the audience and sort of tells she's a very confident young girl, which is, you know, part of the, you know, you, you usually go through the, the chart the kind of course of an animated movie is like, they start, not confident they get their confidence by the end of the movie this is the movie where she starts off very confident mm-hmm. and then loses her confidence when she turns into this giant red panda so mm. she's addressing the audience she's walking down the street she's looking into the camera she and yeah you 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 see the first time that there has been a title card mm. acknowledged in 25 movies at pixar wow. so of course i had to
0: Talk about that. Well, I cool, 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 that cool. was fun. Yeah, but you also mentioned in your coverage that stylistic difference from previous Pixar. There's these little flourishes of hand drawn animation that are in this thing. Yeah, not like Mitchell's versus the machine level, which is huge, deliberate, but little. What, what are we talking about?
1: Yeah, like there, there is sort of as we would say in comic books, emanata, where mm-hmm. the, you know there are lines and expressions that indicate what the character is feeling but there's also things like head shapes and mouth shapes change dramatically mm-hmm. and also i know i'm jumping ahead in your questions jim but there's mm-hmm. these great cartoony things like where they'll have one body part move mm-hmm. like there's a moment in the trailer you see mm-hmm. where a little girl comes out of a bathroom stall and the mm-hmm. panda pushes her in yes. and it's just and her entire body is standing still and she's pushing with her her arm and they they said that it was really hard to get the animators to do that because Mm -hmm. obviously if you were a real character and you're trying to convey life, you would, Mm -hmm. you know, there would be muscles would be moving your tail, the tail would be moving and all that. And they said, no, leave it like that. Push the arm out. The other thing that they do for the first time, which actually Luca does this a little bit too, is that animators are always posing characters slightly askew to Mm -hmm. the camera so that Mm -hmm. you see both of their eyes. And in this one, they just let the profile be there, and it's really cool. And the other thing is, her and her little her kind of girl squad. Mm-hmm. They'll do these things where they move together, mm-hmm. literally, like you know, they they peek out behind the wall of a convenience store, and it's all four of their heads together. Mm-hmm. Instead of what you would normally think, one would pop out, the other one, there would be some jostling for mm-hmm. space. But they kind of have these heightened cartoony moments that just add so much to the movie. You're gonna this is gonna be everyone's favorite Pixar movie on march 12th is my mm. guess you know that is what i think will happen with this
0: as you pointed out in in your surf, with what's fascinating is to deliver something that's this quality and in fact i guess they had just started production when the pandemic began and you're a first time director of a full-length feature having done a short and to suddenly well everybody's home and now everything has to be done over a zoom meeting yeah and Oh, by the way, I also want this to reference, you know, Bolt, Sailor Moon and Tex Avery. And it just sort of like, I I just can't imagine being able to deliver the goods under that sort of conditions. But Domi not only did that, but, but to hear you talk, it's this incredibly personal
1: film yeah and they said that that being at home actually in a weird way helped the movie because it kind of took everybody's guard down because mm-hmm. they were watching kids run into frame and mm-hmm. you know that you kind of saw the the people as people and and got to learn more about their personal lives and everybody kind of put it into a movie that's very frank and honest about puberty and sexuality and the changes your body goes through, and you know it's it's just it's a real feat, I will say.
0: Okay. um yeah
1: it's really impressive
0: well can't wait i mean i i guess the one thing is that this is the, the film that comes in you know from disney after Encanto, and that's going to be the yardstick and it's in a weird way it's not going to be fair because our obviously turning red didn't get you know a 45 day theatrical release i mean luca in a weird sort of way has a wonderful score obviously beyond the boy band component it is Music a big aspect of this thing? Or? Yeah, I mean, the Lud- the Ludwig Goranson score is just
1: delightful, as always. You know, he's, he's well on his way to becoming a Disney legend, I think, at this point, between Mandalorian and mm-hmm. Black Panther, and all of his incredible score work. And um, it's very different, and very early 2000s, mm-hmm. and very great. <laughs>
0: oh, can't wait, can't wait. Yeah. Well, all right, well, it's... March 11th, they're arriving at theaters, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. So that's why you said it will be their favorite film by March 12th. I yes, get it by now. 12, okay, yeah. there we go. Yes,
1: <laughs> You got it, Jim. You got it. But just think that Luca was the number one streamed movie of 2021. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Turning Reds, maybe Turning Red and Encanto will fight it out for the most streamed movie of 2022. Well, we I, see.
0: I'm sure Mr. Chapek will share that on the next quarterly starting call. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which you know, sometime in April, right? So, yeah, okay. Well, until you get the chance to hear Mr. Chapek's earnings call, there are there are some other you kind know, of things worth listening to online, and and that includes Light Diffuse, which is the the wonderful uh, podcast that that Drew does with with Mr. Charles Hood. So, oh, who are you and Charles talking to this week, Drew?
1: I think this week is one of our Jim Bissell episodes, which, Jim, you must listen to because he is so great and and totally at the age when he does not care at all, (laughs) which is the the age that we like. I feel like I'm already at that age, but, you know, know,
0: I have to admit, you you always enjoy that person who isn't worried about where their next job is coming from or who would I offend Well, you get the real stories? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, So
1: we talk a lot about, uh, he was the production designer on ghost protocol and rogue nation. He did things like he designed the opening credits for amazing stories, which I think is like one of the great opening uh, credit sequences of all time. He worked on the rocketeer, arachnophobia, ET. I mean, it's an insane list. And he is, uh, scheduled to work on, shrunk with uh, our friend Josh Gad very soon so
0: it's so interesting you bring that up because somebody tweeting about the, the sad news of of Little Town being put on hold they they said so you now pivot immediately to shrunk or working with Rick Moranis? said Josh actually tweeted out something to the effect of that's the plan
1: yeah, I mean, every time I talk to to Joe, too, I'm like, Shrunk, we, we, we gotta get, we're doing Trunk. what's going on? So, yeah, uh, hopefully soon, that'll be soon. Um, okay. But the Jim Bissell episodes are very special. I think everybody should check oh, them out. Uh,
0: absolutely, check it out. Okay, well, we also have some other podcasts here if you, you'd like to listen to those. We, of course, have uh, Disney Dish with Len Testa. Uh, we have Marvelous Disney, which when I do with Aaron Adams.
1: Y'all going to have a lot to talk about this week okay. after the Super Bowl. Uh,
0: Okay, I'll, I'll reach out to Aaron right now. Okay, <laughs> if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, fine-tuning. But also, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And Drew, at the top of the show, was talking about his online interaction with uh, – that was Jared Bush, right? Uh, Jared
1: Bush. And, yeah, Byron just liked my comments.
0: So. There we go. You can you read it. into
1: that, but then, you know – Jared really fueled the flame, so I can only be responsible for so much, Jim. You know, I kind of I lead the horse to water, Did but I don't make him drink. You there know?
0: you go. Well, seriously, <laughs> it, if you're not following Drew on social media, you're missing out on these fun moments. So uh, can you tell folks where they can find you?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, it is uh, Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt on Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter. And what about you, Jim? Where can people find you? Uh,
0: let's see. You can find or us- most
1: likely Nancy, let's be honest. But yeah, go ahead. Th- there
0: we go. You can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. as Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook, as Jim Hill Media News. That's it for we- this week, folks. Thanks for listening. And Drew and I will be back next week.